Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Cripes Cast. I'm your host, Charlie Barons. We are brought to you by Jolly Good Soda. And here is today's episode. Hey, folks, how we doing? Welcome to another episode of the Cripes Cast. Today, my guest is Cheryl Nen. She is the riverkeeper for the mighty Milwaukee, Menominee, and Kinnikinnick rivers. Um, and we're talking all about waterways here today, folks. I know some of you are like, oh, God, we're talking about water, Charlie. Jeez Louise, again, you hippie, what, what's your deal? But, you know, we all drink it. We all need it. Uh, we all use it. It's an economic tool um, for us. It's an environmental thing for others, you know, and uh, if we don't take care of it, a lot crashes. So it's super important. Um, and I think that we, we talk a lot about the Milwaukee River in this episode, but it's interesting, in my opinion, because Milwaukee River and um, Milwaukee in general and its relationship with water is kind of a microcosm for the rest of the country, really, and honestly, the rest of the world. Um, so if you're interested at all in uh, your waterways and how maybe polluted or clean they are, um, how people build around them and interact with them. I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast. Cheryl is a great guest and super insightful. And she was actually recommended by another Cast guest, Dan Egan. So super excited for this uh, podcast. I'm joined, of course, in this intro by my fearless podcast executive producer, Colleen, a.k.a. Coco no. Maraca, ladies and gentlemen. That is her nickname. She's been giving me crap for not calling her by her nickname. No, don't. She said, only my friends call me Coco, and you never do. And I was like... We're not friends. We are friends, Colleen. <laughs> really funny yeah, we are. That. You're so right. <laughs> oh, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Colleen, how was your um, 4th of July? It's been good. It's been, it was super hot here. I've got pretty Minneapolis in Minneapolis outside of Minneapolis. Yep. South, South suburbs. It's been good. Um, my parents got a new boat, so that's been really fun being here and like doing that. New boat, huh? Wow. What kind of boat did they get? They got a go old trade trade going. So, um, they have a deck boat. Uh-huh. So it's kind of like like they used to have a fish and ski, and then they got a deck boat. So it just has like it's kind of like a pontoon where it just has more seating, and then it's also nice like it ha- yeah, it's just a little bit bigger, so it's got some more space for more folks. Um, but yeah, it's like it's really nice. It's so funny. <laughs> I don't know if this is true for you guys because you have like twelve siblings, but or there's twelve of you. But last night, like we had our whole family here. We had like a Fourth of July party with like friends and family, and. Um, because I don't know why, but like my brother, he tried to say like, yeah, I can take the boat in. And all, everybody was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. They were kind of like skeptical. And then last night I took my friends out for a loop and I was like, hey, can I take the boat? And my parents were like, oh yeah, for sure. Go right ahead. And so it's like, they trust me implicitly as the baby, which is so interesting. I don't know why, but they do not trust Lauren for like a lick of salt. So it's so funny. Wow, I can't. Yeah. Was he upset by this? Yeah, he brought it up and he was like, like, or he just like does his little like defeated look and everybody starts laughing because like the day prior, it literally was like for him to leave the sandbar to go pick up more people to bring to the sandbar. And my dad was like, well, why don't I just come with you? And it's like, (laughs) literally like (laughs) the most (laughs) most low key um, way to say I don't trust you to not ding the prop at all. Right. That's hilarious. Which like if anybody's dinged the prop, it's probably me. No kidding. And, yeah. No, like anyway. Um, but 
and I hadn't driven this boat by myself yet or at all. So it was funny that I was like, Hey, I understand. I haven't driven it yet. Are you okay with me taking the spin? And my parents were like, yeah, for sure. The keys in the boat. See you later. And I'm like, <laughs> and they trust me to get it out of the lift and like everything. And so it's just super funny that like, and you are such a youngest child by now bringing it up on this yeah. podcast and <laughs> gloating about it. There's nothing that says younger, young, youngest child vibes like that. So yeah. congratulations. Yes, but it's been super nice. We've been enjoying the lake. I've been like, I've been burnt. I'm pretty charred, but um, worth it. It's going to yeah. turn into tan. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we took the boats out to the middle of the lake and watched fireworks all around the lake. So it was really nice. Oh, that's cool. But yeah, what did you do for the fort? their own stuff. Well, um, yeah, there was like, it was funny. There was like the city of Lakeville fireworks sanctioned. And then there was like competitors nearby that were trying to like compensate for something. So Nice. You know. nice. Yeah. I see what I see what it's like. You know, I yeah. see, I see uh, again, a great youngest child vibes. You know, my place is the best and everyone else forget about them. You know? I we didn't throw any off. We didn't do anything like that. That was like okay. there there was this there's this new build on the lake that's very big and they had fireworks. And you just wonder, big house, big boat, big fireworks. Need I say more? No. <laughs> <laughs> all right well well played well played um but what'd you guys do i saw uh, you were kayaking yeah. and stuff did you do anything fun yeah i went out kayaking uh with my buddies actually on the milwaukee river it relates to this episode um and yep. i actually thought about what cheryl was saying as we were doing it cheryl um uh, Nen again um milwaukee river keeper she talks about how you can look at sort of your river and see how polluted it is by or was by where the buildings are facing and sure enough we're like going up this very beautiful stretch of the river and on the right is the post office and it has absolutely no windows facing the river so i thought that was pretty interesting uh to kind of see from that perspective but yeah um i went out with my buddies on the milwaukee river we kayaked around we hit up some bars uh, it was a good time highly recommend that for anyone um who's looking for like a good day thing to do in milwaukee or like were you kayaking under the influence yeah i was um should i admit that um yeah i think that's i think you're fine i think that's fine uh <laughs> i had a life jacket in the boat and um yeah it was a great time it was a great time so I enjoyed it with my buddies and then uh there were fireworks going off that night but i knew that during the fireworks no one would be in the pool so i was just out chilling in the pool just listening to fireworks. That's such a weird thing to admit. I know, but I figured people would enjoy that. That's I, like the that's like the first grandkid that doesn't have any cousins yet. They like go like play on their own because they don't have anyone to play that's with. It's like that, attention pick me energy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's fun. Yeah, it was a good time. So nice. Anyways, but uh, we should get uh, rocking and rolling and into this yeah. podcast. And um, oh, by the way, we've got uh, I want to let everyone know we've got a bunch of merch. Speaking of the 4th of July, I want to let everyone know that like over 90 percent of our merch is made in the United States. Um, and we try to do that for, you know, our workers here. We try to do that for um the environment lower carbon footprint so check it out cripescast.com we've got a ton of stuff everything from sweatshirts koozies you know uh you name it uh t-shirts whatever uh cribbage boards cards so much stuff uh go check it out cripescast.com and click on the merch section and i wish uh, we had like a i wish we had like a 
audio board where we could click things because the thing that's been playing in my head this whole week has been like an eagle sound where it goes like, you know, <laughs> what? You can... I wish when you were like made in the USA and then we did like, not Talk a great good. gag. Anyway, merch done. Okay. Uh, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here's my conversation with Cheryl Nen. Your background looks um, very much so like a Milwaukee built-in um, built-in cupboard in the back yeah. deal. Is, is that like uh, of the Washington Heights area? You nice. Know? Well done. Yeah, I am. I am. I technically am in Sherman Park because I'm north of North Avenue, but I definitely am Washington Heights adjacent. I Got think it. Uptown now, but I don't think we feel very uptown. I don't think it's really taken. Yeah, the city's trying to like rebrand the neighborhood, and we're all like, okay. <laughs> yeah, when I think about uptown, I think about like uptown Dallas or something, which is a right. very, you know, that's kind of more of the, uh, it's a more snooty part of Dallas. So I don't know that that really translates in Milwaukee to. It like, really doesn't. I know. I think of like uptown New York and like I don't know Christy Brinkley or something. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think West Town is like closer to the city. And so it's kind of already taken and they just didn't know what to like. We're in West Milwaukee is like another city. So they're like, we'll just call it Uptown. And we're all like, huh? Yeah, but, I, I guess. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and how long have you lived in Milwaukee? Um, I have been here like 21 years. Crazy. I'm from Chicago originally. I know. Um, Bears fan? Well, you know, it's hard to be a Bears fan even growing up in Chicago. They're been pretty <laughs> awful, except for like one year ever with Jim McMahon in the refrigerator yeah. theory. Um, yeah. That's how old I am. But um, yeah, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm really a Bears fan. I am a Blackhawks fan and okay. I am also a White Sox fan, which generally is fine because they never played the Brewers. But then now they're playing the Brewers. So it's confusing. Yeah, I think that still that still translates though. It, it's long, basically you just can't be a Cubs fan and we'll be okay with it. That's I'm not a Cubs fan. Okay. Yeah, and I am. Yeah, I definitely. You know, I'm from Chicago, but I wouldn't say I'm a Bears fan. And then now they left downtown Chicago and they're moving to the suburbs. It's just like not. It's not cool. Yeah, I, I would agree. I would agree with that. Pretty much anything about them is not cool. But um, <laughs> mo <laughs> moving right along. Um, what got you into um, your position with, as Milwaukee Riverkeeper? Um, excellent question. Well, you know, I'm a biologist, so I have a bachelor's in biology and um, a master's too in natural resource ecology. But, you know, I think I grew up in the Chicago area. Um, I've always loved being outside. I think, you know, even we had a cottage growing up that was kind of in central Illinois, not far from the Illinois River. But, you know, I spent most of my time as a kid, like wandering around the lake and walking along the river shores and um, swimming and water skiing and all, you know, the, that good stuff, fishing. So I always, you know, loved outside. I thought, you know, growing up, I thought I'd be a doctor. I was really thinking that was kind of my path for a while. And then at some point, I think I realized that I could get paid to just like work outside and protect natural resources. And that just seemed like a much better fit for me. So um, I, yeah, I um, kind of got into the field. I, previous to here, I'd worked for the U.S. Forest Service for a while. I worked for the city of New York, um, managing natural areas for about three years. Um, I did Peace Corps as Peace Corps volunteer in Ecuador and kind of did some crisis relief work after Hurricane Mitch in Honduras um, after grad school a bit. But um, yeah, I just kind of I did some consulting. I worked for the state of Michigan for a while. Um, and then I think I, I moved here actually to Milwaukee to do a Forest Service job and was doing that for about a year and got laid off and um you know, I really wasn't sure if I was going to stay in Milwaukee or not or move back to Chicago because I 
hadn't lived actually in Chicago either in quite a while. But uh, yeah, I, I found out that there was a job available. And um, at that time, we were friends of Milwaukee's Rivers when I started there, which was about 20 years ago, actually now, which is crazy. Um, but uh, yeah, I heard about the job and it seemed really exciting and applied and, and I got it. And so I think I was hired on a one-year contract and it's been, you know, 20 years. Wow. Now, what what exactly, for those who don't know, um, what 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 is the importance of sort of the Riverkeepers? It's a national um, situation. And um, in Wisconsin, is it just Milwaukee that has one? Are there other places? Can you give people a little bit of a background just so everyone understands? Sure. Yeah. So Waterkeeper Alliance is kind of an umbrella group, um, really a global movement of really community-based ad- advocacy organizations that work for clean water and healthy communities. And we have about 320 groups in 47 countries, um, but we're all made up of individual groups that are self-sustaining um, kind of grassroots-based community groups. So um, Milwaukee Riverkeeper um, was started in 1995 here by a, you know a group of residents that um, you know really wanted to clean up the rivers. They were just frustrated by the amount of trash and dams and concrete channels and, you know, really wanted to work to reform um, the rivers and improve water quality and wildlife habitat. Um, So we were started in 1995. Um, We didn't become a waterkeeper organization, I think, until around 2008, if memory serves. Um, But um, actually, no, I think it was a little bit earlier than that. But but anyway, I mean, all of our organizations were essentially locally funded and supported organizations, but we kind of are aligned with a, a larger network of, of groups that are doing this work now, you know, across the globe. Um, so we are the only uh, waterkeeper in Wisconsin right now. Um, we have about um, eight Great Lakes groups that we work pretty closely with as well on kind of Great Lakes policies, but um, we're part of this larger movement, which is, you know, I think really exciting too. So we're all like always kind of teaching and learning from each other. And um, when sort of you bring that down to Milwaukee, like what, like what inspired you? Uh, what, what, do you remember a moment that you were I- inspired to like really take this on in Milwaukee, or was it kind of the job was opening? It, it was there, so that that you had the interest in the past. Like, was there something specific about? rivers in particular and how they associate with a community at large or just water in particular? What was sort of your inspiration there? Yeah, you know, I've I've always loved water. I think I'm lucky I grew up along the Great Lakes and have always kind of oscillated around them throughout, you know, most of my life. And so I, you know, I definitely knew I wanted a career protecting natural resources and um, you know, and so when I started my my position at this at Milwaukee Riverkeeper, I was doing kind of more program management. Um, but I think, you know, my background, I kind of worked for state government, federal government, local government. And, I, you know, when you work for government, you often, um, you know, can't really advocate. You can't really speak loudly or forcefully for the resources. You know, there's a lot of rules, right? <laughs> and, and different things involved. Yeah. So, you know, I think I, um, you know, when I kind of learned a little bit more about, you know, when we were that we were part of Waterkeeper Alliance and what that meant, um, you know, I really wanted to kind of, I think, delve, you know, full on there um, into protecting the resources and giving like the rivers a voice um, and, you know, and to some extent the lake as well. And I think, you know, obviously waters can't speak for themselves. And so I think, you know, I think the, you know, kind of the real goal, I think, of, of a lot of water keepers is to kind of provide a voice to be that scientist and investigator and, and lawyer if we need to be advocate for our waters. And, 
you know, we really, you know, it's it's been a, a wonderful job. I mean, you I can identify sources of pollution. Um, you know, we respond to a lot of community concerns. So a lot of folks call us, you know, if, if the river looks weird, smells weird, dead fish, um, different things going on. So and then, you know, we work with a lot of different agency partners, government partners, nonprofit partners to find solutions to different problems that are affecting the river. So, um, you know, I think it's kind of been a really good fit for me. I mean, I have a science background and we kind of often say that we're a science-based advocacy organization because I think it's really important to base your advocacy on actual facts and actual data. And I think it gives us more legitimacy when we're we're speaking to, you know, kind of local, state, federal decision makers that, you know, that a lot of, you know, times when we're advocating for the river, um, that is coming from a place of science and um, actual, you know, statistics and data that we've collected. Um, so, you know, I think it's it's just been kind of a, a wonderful job. I've been here for 20 years, which I, you know, I don't think I expected that I would be here as long as I have, I've been here. But, um, you know, it's just been a really, uh, you know, great kind of mix of, of different different skills and being able to kind of like use the science, but really apply it and, you know, and kind of to give a voice to the rivers and really strongly advocate for them. It's been, uh, you know, it's been a pleasure and a privilege. Sure. And I kind of want to focus in on Milwaukee because I think Milwaukee is kind of a microcosm for the United States as sort of a larger whole. This is an in a formerly very industrial town. There was a lot of um, sort of this dynamics, this push between the environment and industry, you yeah. know, and um, what initially had me interested in bringing you on is right now they're dredging the Milwaukee river. Right. And I think that's a very visual representation of this, um, sort of this, um, pushing between industry and the environment. Uh, can you explain why they're dredging the river currently? And then, um, I'll have a couple follow-ups on that. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. So, you know, exactly what you said. I mean, Milwaukee is, you know, has a very strong industrial past. I think, you know, we're really here. I mean, the city's here because of this amazing access that the rivers provided, you know, into the land, you know, to the north and to the west and to the east. And so, you know, even, you know, early folks that came here were extracting natural resources, um, you know, developing businesses and industry. You know, we were really, you know, producing like a very high percentage of rail cars for the whole country. Of course, we had tanneries, we had breweries, um, and there was a lot of industry that, you know, lined the rivers as part of that. You know, there was a lot of modification. So, you know, most rivers, if you go to the natural portions of the Milwaukee River, you know, they, they're sinuous, they meander, they move. You know, downtown, obviously, we, we straightened everything, we hardened everything with seawalls, we, you know, we made everything deep so that big ships could come in and out. And, you know, most of that was for industry. And, you know, prior to the Clean Water Act, which was went into effect in, you know, 1972, you know, people were dumping pretty much anything that was possible into the, into the Milwaukee River as well. Isn't that nuts? That, that was that was the thing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, 1972, right? So, I mean, that's like pretty, you know, recent and 50 years ago or so. And, you know, prior to that, like kind of anything went. And if you look at some of the early Milwaukee uh, papers, which I you know, sometimes get sucked into for different projects. But, you know, the rivers were bad. They were catching fire. I know the Cuyahoga gets all of the, the you know, the notoriety for burning fires, but Lincoln Creek caught on fire. Like somebody was burning leaves one day and it, like an ember went onto the creek and set it on fire. And, you know, back then, you know, in the early days, the fireboats, we still have fireboats, but they were much more active. There was a lot of pollution and, and um, you know, the rivers got pretty bad. And, and I think you can really see that if you go to downtown Milwaukee, they literally put the backs of the buildings to the river. <laughs> and right. you know, 
the front of the buildings are in the street level and the, they were like, oh, no one likes that river. It smells and there's bad things coming down. So we'll put the back of the, the buildings along the river. And, um, you know, until the river walk went in, um, you know, which was kind of like 90s, I think, um, you know, they're really it was really hard to access the river and, and people really didn't want to spend a lot of time there, you know, because it was very polluted. And, you know, there's been a series of a lot of, you know, huge sewer improvements, you know, that have made a big difference. We've been able to remove dams that has really opened up the river and dramatically improved, you know, fisheries and water quality. Um, but we still have all this gunk that's kind of on the bottom of the river that some of which has been down there for, you know, hundreds of years, probably, or, as you know, maybe as long as the, the city has been here. So um, we're part of a, we have kind of a, a designation, it's called an area of concern um, by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. And what that is, is it's a group of about 43 American and Canadian um, cities, harbors, ports that are, you know, toxic, basically. We have a very high level of industrial contamination. And they acknowledge that this was a problem because we're also a tributary to the lakes, which are our drinking water supply, right, for 40 million Americans and Canadians. So there was a sense of, well, we need to clean up these rivers and these harbors that are, you know, contaminated that are going to affect our drinking water supply. Um, and, you know, and also just because it's important for the critters and the fish and the people eating the fish, right? And and there's huge public health implications to, to a lot of these contaminants at the bottom of the river that are cancer causing are, you know, not good. So um, we are part of this program. We've been part of the program since 1987. And you know, there there have been some fairly large dredging projects. We had a $20 million project on the Kinnickinnick River a little bit more than 10 years ago now. Um, and we had a very large, like 50 million plus uh, cleanup in Lincoln Park, which at the time, uh, Lincoln Park's on the Milwaukee River in Glendale. But that um, just hydrologically, how the river moves through there, it collected a lot of sediment. So it had about 70% of the contaminated sediment that we are aware of in the river system. And so a lot of that had come out already. Um, but we're left with really a lot of the downtown rivers. And there's about 12, I think 11 miles, 12 miles of river. It's about six and a half miles on the Milwaukee um, downstream from Esterbrook Dam, if people are familiar, the former Esterbrook Dam, which we got out in a couple of years ago with a lot of partners. Um, downstream from there, it's all, all of, there's pretty significant contamination um, in the entire river. And in some cases in the floodplains, because we had a dam at North Avenue back in the day um, and so a lot of that area was underwater at one point in time. So some of the contaminations in the river and some of it's um, in the floodplains that used to essentially be river. Um, and then there's like about two and a half miles each of the, the lower Menominee and Kinnickinnick River that need to be dredged. Um, and so the, the project that's happening right now is about 0.6 miles of river. It's from where the Menominee River comes in to the home bridge, which is essentially to Lake Michigan there. Um, and they're kind of cleaning up uh, a lot of the intense co contamination in that area, which is mostly um, kind of heavy metals and petroleum type compounds. And so that's a pretty big cleanup. It's going on this whole summer. Um, and there's two kind of active areas. One is kind of a corner um, near where the Menominee comes in at, near there's screaming tunas there and, you know, some businesses that corner's actually already been cleaned up for the most part. They've worked really hard the last month or so, and it's pretty much been dredged already. And so the rest of the summer, most of the activity will be on that kind of north um, east bank of the Milwaukee River um, along the kind of straight, you know, kind of east-west section of the river downtown in the third ward. Um, and we're hoping that will be done kind of around Labor Day. Um, this is part of, you know, this much larger project. So this is the very first section of dredging. 
you know, we will have about two year break in dredging while we are building um, a new facility that can contain a lot of the the contamination, the sediment that's coming out of yeah, the river. Where does where does that go? Where, yeah, uh, a, yeah. Good question. So because actually two questions, just real yeah. quick. So it, if you look at the river right now, you kind of see the oil or the petroleum or whatever on the top. And it also smells down there. Does that smell to those fumes or whatever? Is that um, safe for people to just kind of be inhaling and all that? Yeah. So they're um, they're basically doing something. It's called hydraulic dredging. So the way I kind of explain it to people, it's kind of like using a giant vacuum cleaner. So they're down there very precisely sucking up some of these contaminated spots. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, in the bottom, because there are a lot of petroleum compounds that we're removing, you you know, there is like a sheen that you can see on top of the river in different places. So you'll see there's like boats that are going back and forth with booms and absorbent materials, and they're trying to skim most of that off. Um, The whole site, too, is surrounded by sediment curtains, and they have monitoring devices upstream and downstream. And I just got... um, well, some information earlier in the week, but, you know, they pretty much, we haven't seen any spikes in sediment, which has been good. I mean, luckily for this project, I wouldn't say for us in general, um, it's been kind of a drought, you know, we've had very little rain. So that's helped them do the project. And there haven't, there hasn't been a lot of like transport out of that site, you know, so far, which is good. Um, I think if we start, you know, if we get a big rain event or a big flood, I think it might get a little bit tricky, but um, you know, so far, I think the project seems like it's going really well. I know I think that they're on schedule. Um, you know, I think whenever you're kind of sucking things up from the bottom of the river, there there is sometimes, you know, it's a low oxygen environment. And there's sometimes smells that kind of that rotten egg smell. Um, but it's so I think people might be smelling that um, it's it's nothing harmful. It's kind of more the biological breakdown of a lot of the the petroleum that's been down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been fairly minimal. The, the interesting thing down down there too is you have the malorganite, you know, kind of fabrication area of, of MMSD. Um, they all kind of smell a little bit different and kind of weirdly. I know what everything smells like, but um, there's you know there's multiple smells that are, <laughs> are happening down there. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. It, it may not just be from that. I get yeah, that. and the yeah, lakes yeah. are returning sometimes. You know, we've had some kind of interesting spring weather here. So, but it, I feel like in general it's been it hasn't. You know, obviously there's some noise and and that as well. But the the hydro so the hydraulic dredge is this vacuum cleaner sucks this stuff up and it is basically going in an underwater pipeline that's sunk. You can't really see it, but it goes kind of all the way out the Milwaukee River, out the the gap, you know, underneath the Hone Bridge, and then heads south. And essentially, there's a special cell um, in it's called our confined disposal facility, but it's essentially a piece of property that's near where the Lake Express uh, ferry is, if people are familiar with that, it's kind of in the port of Milwaukee. Um, there's a, a large area that if you're going over the Hone, it kind of looks like a wetland if you look you know, toward the lake. Yep. Um, that area essentially is what historically a lot of our dredge sediment has gone into. Um, it's managed kind of by the Army Corps of Engineers. But um, you know, there's a special area where most of that sediment is going and they've built like a water treatment plant. So the sediment will remain kind of in a special cell that's contained that can't contact the lake or um, groundwater. And then the water that's kind of, a lot of the water that's coming out of the river is part of this sucking, you know, dredging project. That water is being cleaned in that treatment plant and then kind of discharged back to the lake. Um, we were out there too earlier this week and it looks, you know, it, it looks like it's very clean and it's actually a very small footprint when you get down there, it's kind of surprisingly so. But 
that area is not going to be big enough to take all of the dredge sediment for this whole, you know, this whole project, which is 11 miles of stream that will be cleaned up. So they're building a new facility that will be essentially directly north of uh, the existing one. So, and that will be kind of built with steel sheet piling. And they're essentially going to be filling in like a small portion of the lake um, to kind of house this sediment. Um, and that will also house additional sediment in the future that's dredged out of the rivers for navigation. So some of the big ships and stuff that come into the port will still be able to get in there. Um, and that's an interesting element of this too. Like a lot of, you know, historically these rivers were dredged pretty methodically by the core, um, you know, to, you know, pretty significant depth so that these large ships could get in. Mm. So a lot of the contamination isn't necessarily in the middle of the river because a lot of that had been dredged over years um, for dredging. And some of that is in that same facility. But a lot of like, you know, what what's happening right now in the third ward is it's really confined kind of along the seawalls is where a lot of that has kind of dropped out. Um, so, you know, that's, and they're going down to really extreme. I mean, I think in some places they're going down to like 22 feet to remove wow. sediment. So that's an incredible amount of sediment that's down there. Excuse the interruption, folks, but I just want to shout out the great and generous sponsors of the Cripes cast. Uh, first off, I want to thank Jolly Good Soda. If you like, you know, yourself a little sweet treat, make it a Jolly Good Soda. Okay, make it a Jolly Good good time. I had some Jolly Good at my uh, 4th of July party. It was getting sucked up like there was no tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. People love that. The kids love it. The folks love it. You love it for your old fashions. Get it. Jollygoodsoda.com. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you about Fleet Farm. Your next summer outdoor adventure starts at Fleet Farm. Are you looking to get out on the water? Check out kayaks and canoes or towables and inflatables or bring the water to your backyard with pools and pool maintenance supplies. Getting ready for a camping trip? Shop top brands in tents, sleeping bags, chairs, coolers, and more. Get everything you need for outdoor summer fun in one stop at the Fleet Farm. And of course, folks, the best way to support the Cripescast is go to Cripescast.com. Click on the merch for our Midwest merch, USA Proud and USA Made. 96% of our stuff is USA Made. Um, check it out. And uh, other ways to, uh, you know, sort of support, you can go to Patreon.com, Patreon.com slash Charlie Barons, and you can check out a bunch of behind the scenes videos. We've got a Dude Dad vlog when I was out there working with him coming out, putting in doc video coming out. Check it out. Patreon.com slash Charlie Barons. All right. Back to the Cripes cast. Okay. So you, we we have all this sediment down there. Now, um, uh, the next question would kind of be like, who's paying for this? Who's I know We Energies is doing this project. Why is We Energies doing the project? Is it a publicly funded thing? Because um, I think if you think about it, you know, there is an industry uh that was responsible for putting it in the river um and that industry is 100 years old or whatever who's yeah. paying for it so where's the money kind of coming from yeah good question so um you know most of the money for this project and for like the future dredging projects um is coming from the federal government so it's part of this area of concern program um and they also it's also been called like the legacy act program but essentially um, you know, it's it's federal money and that pays for about 65% of the expense here. Um, 35% is like a local match that's required. And so 
Um, in the case of, I'd say this project, but also for a, a large portion of the rivers that will be dredged in the next, like, you know, probably five to eight years, um, we energies is going to be putting in a significant amount of that 35%. Um, and that's because I think people kind of forget this and, you know, but there were a lot of power plants downtown. Um, there was one in the third ward, very close to the existing dredging area that no longer exists. Um, and the city lights brewing on the Menominee river. If you've been there, um, that was one of the city's first um, power plants, essentially. I think that really was responsible for our first like gas street lights and, and things that we had in Milwaukee. So there was a power plant there that's now defunct. It's the City Lights Brewing. Um, on the Milwaukee River, there is the Lakefront Brewery, which was also another great brewery, uh, also was a power plant. And then the, not shockingly, the Powerhouse Theater, which is part of the, the Milwaukee Rep, um, was also a powerhouse, was another power plant. So, you know, if you can imagine back then, a lot of those plants were all discharging, God knows, to the river, you know, a lot of contamination. So um, that's kind of why We Energies is paying. And, and a lot of those were obviously precursor companies to We Energies today, but mm. they're still responsible for that, for a big chunk of that contamination and are, are paying for that. And, you know, they're really managing this project downtown um, because, you know, this is an area that I think is, you know, directly attributable some of the contamination to the power plant that used to be there. Um, so they're paying, you know, a good chunk of that 35% match. The city of Milwaukee is also putting in you know, quite a bit of money. They're funding the um, this this new containment facility, which is where a lot of the sediment will go. Um, and you know, there's other a lot of other you know players that are putting in in you know smaller bits of funding. Milwaukee County and um, MMSD has been doing a lot of the project management too for that facility because you know when you get into an urban area, things get complicated pretty quickly. But there's a combined sewer overflow point that discharges. Kind of where they want to put this facility so all of that has to be moved there's a lot of you know utilities and things as part of this project that um make it a lot more complicated than i'm probably making it sound but you know like even for this this project that's happening right now people might have noticed they've like come in and put in some redundant seawall and they've pounded in some steel yeah that's really because they don't want to like dig too close to the wall where it would be undermined and it could cause some I issues see. with the condos adjacent so they are, in some cases, building kind of those walls down here. And after the project, the dredging's done, they will have divers go down there and cut those walls off. And then that whole area that kind of wasn't clean between the walls will be heavily capped with, you know, some, uh, you know, sand kind of uh, gravel mixture. Um, and then some of the other, you know, portions of the areas that have been dredged will also be capped. But um, as I think they're moving up the Milwaukee River, the sense that I'm getting is, um, they're probably going to leave a little bit of a buffer along the seawalls where they just won't be able to dredge. And th those areas will be heavily capped. Um, and then they'll be kind of really focusing in more on the, the main channel. Those areas were dredged a lot less often, the kind of um, section that goes through downtown, because you know, sure. we don't have a lot of big ships that go up there, obviously, anymore um, because yeah. of all the bridges. So that area, I think most of the dredging will be confined more to the set, to the, the center channel. Um, and but there's, you know, there's going to be a ton of utilities. So a lot of these projects, there's just a lot of, you know, design and, and planning beforehand to make sure that they're, you know, we're not going to mess up anything else. Absolutely. Um, with the the river kind of get, getting outside of of um, that, there's like if you look at the river on certain days, you know, when water's coming into the river from like Michigan, uh, especially you get a lot of 
so much floating plastic and so much stuff. And I think to your average eye, you're looking out there like there's got to be a way to clean this stuff up, you know, um, yeah. or to, um, you know, to uh, so. And I'm sure that's probably frustrating to you as someone who, like, puts a lot of work into the river and does so much deep cleaning in it, you know, and advocacy for that kind of stuff that to see sort of that visual eyesore kind of maybe give a wrong interpretation of the river, or maybe it's an accurate inter interpretation. How do you sort of see kind of that floating trash playing into everything? Yeah. Um, gosh, I mean, floating trash is, a you know, it's a huge uh, challenge for us. I mean, we, you know, we run our annual spring river cleanup and we have about, you know, 40, I think we had around 4,400 people that came out on Earth Day this year to clean up the rivers. And, you know, 80% plus of the trash that people are pulling out of the river is plastic. You know, it's it's single-use plastic. Um, it's, you know, just even plastic people have used once, like, you know, a beverage container, a chip bag, um, you know, incredible amount of um, kind of tobacco-related plastic that we've been pulling out, like, you know, Swisher Sweets wrappers, like cigar tips. Um, I think these new vaping, um, contraptions to have a lot of disposable plastic associated with them. Um, so we're seeing a lot of that in the river as well. Um, you know, it's an incredible amount and it's a huge challenge. We have about um, 145 different groups too that are going out and regularly cleaning up sections of river now through our adopter river program. Um, and so we have a lot of just human power that's kind of trying to clean up the areas. Um, MMSD, you know, runs the Leonard Skimmer, which is awesome name, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty great name. But the Leonard Skimmers out there, you know, they skimming mostly, again, floatable plastic and, and stuff and really focusing on the downtown rivers to try to clean that up. But, you know, it's uh, it, the problem is in an urban area, you know, those things float. They they never, you know, a lot of that plastic won't break down in our lifetimes, if ever. Um, and it's just continues to come down the river, you know, and so it's a constant kind of issue. Uh, for, and I think that one of the big solutions is we need to just stop making so much of this stuff. Um, you know, that's a, a huge challenge. And, you know, we have a plastic-free MKE coalition that we help run. That's a lot of different organizations and groups and um, that are working on kind of this plastic problem. And, you know, we've been working with the city as well to try to figure out some of the issues with um, the recycling facility and and just trying to minimize kind of the plastic that's coming in there. Um, and unfortunately, they recently had a fire that caused some really significant damage to the recycling facility. But, you know, we need to work with a lot of the producers to stop making less of this. And ironically, a lot of the petroleum companies who see that they're going to start making less money now because of, you know, the real push for EV, you know, and more um, uh, solar and wind, you know, they're, they basically said a lot of the petroleum companies that they're going to be tripling their plastic production between now and like 2050 um, in order to keep their profits high. And so that is an absolute disaster for the Milwaukee River and for, you know, every waterway on this planet. Um, and if you've been, you know, to Africa and Latin America and you see some of the trash problems in some of those communities, it's absolutely, you know, gut-wrenching and kind of overwhelming and, you know, I know there's a lot of companies doing good work on trying to, you know, make more, you know, paper products to try to make new, you know, compostable, you know, substances that, you know, couldn't actually be used for food, but, you know, would, that would break down. And so there's some science going into the problem as well. But there still is this huge, you know, profit motivation that I think is going to almost ensure that we continue to have a lot of plastic. And so I, you know, I think that there's a lot that the consumers and listeners of the podcast can do 
I mean, I, you know, even I go to the grocery store, try to buy, you know, go to the grocery store and not buy anything in plastic. It's absolutely next to impossible, but there is a lot that we can do on the consumer level, but we also need to really be pushing um, legislation. There's a break free from plastics act. It's been, it has some really good elements in it federally. They've tried to pass it at least two years in a row now, and it hasn't really um, gone anywhere, but you know, you know that, I'll go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, it's, there's a lot that we need to do, I think, legislatively as well. I just say it's part of our Plastic Free MKE Coalition, too. We have businesses, we're calling them lake-friendly businesses that have basically, you know, and there's a, you can Google Plastic Free MKE and, and find the website. But, it, you know, we have businesses that are voluntarily saying we're not going to use any single-use plastic anymore. Um, and so we're kind of trying to, you know, lift up those businesses and other efforts. And there's more information on that website, too, about, you know, other things that um, we're doing to kind of address the plastic. But it's a huge issue. And unfortunately, the state of Wisconsin, and I can't remember how many years ago it was because they start blending in to each other. But, you know, we actually our legislature passed a ban on a ban on bans, essentially, that said that no local city um, could ban plastic bags or any single-use uh, food and beverage container that was made out of plastic or styrofoam. Why? Why? What? What are? I know. What is their motivation? My my question is, especially with that, it, the plastic that's out there. If people don't understand, it breaks down through um, um, photo um, photo degradation. What is it? Where the sun basically yeah. breaks it down, and then those little pieces of microplastic go into the waterways. We end up drinking the water. The fish eat it. If we eat the fish, we eat the plastic. So basically, yeah. um, because there are a bunch of um, you know, petroleum or plastic based lobbyists or whatever, basically funding, you know, these po politicians, basically, there's no reason to listen to them, in my opinion, unless they're sort of funding some sort of campaign thing. And I hope that's not too cynical. I think that's more accurate, you know, than it is cynical. They then listen to them more than the average person. But as a consequence, we're all eating this yeah. plastic. We're all breathing. Literally, it's in the air. We are breathing the plastic. We are drinking the plastic. It's hard yeah. to find any water samples without it. So I think I really think people need to take this seriously. And you know, really figure out who your lawmakers are, figure out how they've um, voted on these things. And the way lobbying works is anybody can lobby, quote unquote, but some people get paid to do it, so they do it more. But anyone can go request to visit with your lawmakers and discuss issues that are important to you. So, you know, that is one thing to consider or a simple email or a phone call. But that's one of the most frustrating things. And, and Wisconsin has so much crap like that. Yeah. Uh, things that don't make any sense, but it happens. And it 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 really pisses me off. And I hope people, um, you know, think about why things are the way they are and who's making that happen. Um, and this is one example. Yeah. And that bill, I mean, my memory, I know if memory serves, um, you know, I wasn't even really sponsored by any legislators. It was clearly written by like, you know, plastic companies or plastic lobbyists and passed like within several days. We found out about it like maybe a day before it passed. And um, it is, you know, it's and it's not solving a problem. It's like, again, it's some political statement. Um, you know, I don't know, but it's like not giving tools to local municipalities to deal with these issues, you know, and, um, you know, and even like our river cleanups, for example, I mean, they're very expensive, you know, to dispose a lot of, of a lot of this stuff. A lot of the sites we have to pay for garbage disposal. I mean, we have a lot of great partnerships with with different entities and cities that help us with that. But, um, you know, it, it's not zero dollars to like do to remove a lot of this stuff from the environment once it's in there. And, 
you know, it's very frustrating that they're kind of taking tools away from the city. Like the city of Milwaukee wanted to pass, you know, some sort of a ban. And the only thing that we were able to get passed was actually a straw ban because it was the one thing that we that wasn't in the legislation that said that they couldn't ban it. So um, we did get the straw ban passed and that's like slowly actually being enforced now. I think there was some grace period that was kind of given during the pandemic. And I think certainly during the pandemic, we kind of went the wrong direction because there was so much takeout, oh you know, God, plastic yeah. junk. That, and yeah, don't get me going on the gloves and the masks and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I think that we're finally kind of at least honing in back on that. But it's a huge issue. There is actually a state bill and I um, can't remember the number offhand, but that was just um, introduced to try to undo that ban on bans. But again, you know, because of kind of the gerrymandering at the state level and the way that, you know, the, the districts are right now, it seems unlikely that um, that bill will pass. But, you know, it's a huge problem. And it's, I mean, certainly in Milwaukee and the bigger cities in Wisconsin, but pretty much everywhere. And all, you know, every town, whether you're a big town, small town, is really struggling to fund recycling and things now with, you know, dwindling budgets and, um, you know, more and higher and higher expenses and more failing infrastructure everywhere, right? So it's a real challenge to fund recycling programs. And so it really, um, it's frustrating. I know a lot of us are trying to think about, they have these extended producer responsibility bills that have passed in other states that basically would require the plastic manufacturers to help fund recycling, help fund um, some of these programs. Uh, you know, there's kind of those bills have been passed for, we're looking at them as well for opioids because uh, we're, and actually drugs, we're part of a coalition called Take Back My Meds, uh, Milwaukee. And, you know, we're fundraising for like 100 plus medical drop boxes in Milwaukee County where people can bring back expired meds because, you know, like if otherwise they're in the home where they're causing, you know, issues, especially opioids and things can be abused. And um, on the water side, if they're flushed, um, a lot of those drugs can't really be removed through the sewage treatment process. So they're getting out into the waters where they're affecting the fish. Um, it may be affecting us. I mean, they're very like small concentrations, but there are researchers looking at, you know, impacts and fish behavior at very small levels of a lot of these endocrine disrupting pharmaceuticals, for example. That's um, no joke. I mean, I caught uh, I caught a bass um, the other day and this bass fought like nobody's business. And I know <laughs> I know he just got himself some time to release Adderall in him. You know, I mean, he was rocking and caffeine or something. Yeah, you don't yeah. know. No. And then there was his other musky and muskies usually fight really big, but he was slow and go. And I knew he got himself some Percocet. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, they got to do something about flushing these meds. It's a real problem, you know? Well, right. But again, it's like, why am I like, why is our group? We're basically nonprofits and we have environmental foundations like that are amazing that are paying for a lot of this, these programs. But, you know, where they've, they've passed these bills in Illinois, um, like Washington, California, Oregon, a bunch of the East Coast states. And, you know, basically it costs like 0.1 to 1% of drug company profits to like fund these like take back programs. Um, and you still have to bring like, you know, get people to take the stuff to the pharmacy or whatever, which is a challenge. But, you know, like it's like we shouldn't be fundraising for this. Like the drug companies are creating, you know, creating these products and they should mm -hmm. be part of the solution in dealing with the disposal, which, again, is like expensive. And, um, and, you know, the money that we're getting from foundations to pay for these boxes is less money that we can have for stream restoration or dam removals or, you know, um, any, you know, other kind of projects that we could be applying for funding for that would be beneficial. Yeah. So, 
This yeah. is that that's the most frustrating thing, though. And I think that from the dredging to the plastic to the drugs, it's all the same thing is that um, industry is allowed to flourish. We have po a political system that allows industry to flourish. Um, but the consequence of them flourishing is the rest of us not flourishing. So and and then there's there's you know, it's seen as government control, but it's paying your fair share if you cause the damage to um clean the damage to do something about that. Um, I don't understand where that mentality of um, maximize profits today, which uh, at the expense of profits tomorrow, you know, and that is just the way our entire society is, uh, is driven. And it's a very frustrating thing um, for people who see past today. I mean, that that's really seems to be what it comes down to. Yeah, there's really no precautionary principle anymore. I mean, it's, you know, it's like a lot of these drug companies are, or, you know, or any other company, you know, look at 3M. Like, I mean, there are companies that are just creating, you know, huge pollutants. We have PFAS, obviously, now in the news, yeah. which is a very concerning um, issue. But, you know, like, you're basically allowed to create these products, mass, you know, disseminate them. And, you know, a lot of the products are important. Like, drugs are important. You know, 3M has made, you know, wonderful well, I shouldn't say wonderful products, but products that have helped, you know, like Vortex and oh, sure, and products that we yeah. all use, you know, that have helped us in our daily lives. And but, you know, there, there's really never like to your point, there's you know, it's not like, well, let's make sure that this stuff is safe before we get it to the market. It's like, let's produce this. Let let the producers put the stuff out there. And then, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, maybe 20, 30, 50 years in the case of PFAS, we're finally, you know, have the science to kind of start pushing back on, on some of this stuff. And, um, you know, I think we need to do a lot better job of making sure these products are safe before we get them out into the environment and into our homes. Um, well, the, the frustrating thing with 3M is that they knew that it's no different than the oil companies. The oil companies knew about climate change. 3M um, knew about um, uh, the effects of PFAS. And just so I don't get sued by them, uh, 3M. I heard on the radio, I heard a report on the radio that said 3M knew about the reports of PFAS. Yeah. I don't think I need to say allegedly because I think that's been confirmed anyway. And they didn't do anything about it. There, there were signs that they buried it inside. Um, it's that's the most frustrating thing when people are just so full of shit and then they know it's going to hurt people and they put it out there anyway for the purpose of profit. I mean, it's one of the most pathetic things you can do, you know? Right. Yeah, but, now I mean, we have like, you know, like thousands and thousands of people in Wisconsin that can't drink their groundwater, you know, and um, can't drink their drinking water because of PFAS contamination. So and, you know, there are some companies stepping up and, and helping, you know, to clean this up now. But to your point, I mean, I think, a lot, you know, yeah, it's 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 a it's a really bad problem. And I think we've a lot of us have known about it for a while. But now, you know, there's finally, you know, federal regulations that are that are out there. Um, that are pretty aggressive as far as the drinking water, um, you know, standards that have been put out by EPA federally. Our state, you know, standards, we do have surface water standards, which will um, be helpful, I think, for the rivers and for the fish. And I think because we are, fishing is so important to our state and outdoor, you know, the outdoor kind of water-based tourism is such a huge economy here. It's like a $10 billion industry. You know, we were able to get surface water standards in, but you know, our drinking water standards in Wisconsin that were passed and because the political process got so mired, um, uh, you know, the politics really took over what those those limits should be versus the science. You know, the, the scientific levels that were proposed by the scientists were not accepted by 
the state legislature. So unfortunately, I think our state protections are very weak on the drinking water side. Um, you know, if the federal standards pass, we'll then have to use those and that will be helpful. Um, but we don't have any, you know, groundwater standards. So there's a lot of people in Wisconsin on private wells that, you know, are, you know, at potential risk in, in a lot of cases in a lot of areas where they're, you know, maybe there used to be a lot of heavy industry, you know, and like even like in West Bend and our, our watershed, um, you know, they have a residential well that was pretty highly contaminated and um, they've taken that offline. And I think that the levels have come down really significantly. But, you know, there are a lot of towns that are really struggling with this. And the state has proposed like right now about $125 billion as part of this budget to help a lot of the local communities address that PFAS contamination. But at the same time, they're they are making it very cumbersome and difficult for communities to receive this funding. Like they might have to get fund, you know, approval from the Joint Finance Committee to get money to, you know, get a safe water supply, which is kind of insanity. And there's a lot of, you know, handcuffs being put on DNR as far as, um, you know, kind of a condition of giving this this money out to help people get safe drinking water. That, um, you know, the the DNR won't be able to require testing in certain circumstances and. They're not giving, you know, DNR any actual people to help implement the program, for example. Um, and so it's, you know, it, there's a lot of playing politics, you know, right now, which is upsetting, especially because, you know, there are a lot of people that are drinking bottled water, more plastic, and, um, you know, don't have a safe drinking water supply. And, the you know, the politicians are um, kind of making it, you know, let more, much more difficult for them to get solutions to these problems, which is, is frustrating. Yeah. And I, I, these same politicians talk about freedom, freedom. It's a, you know, business, we're not stepping on a business's freedom to operate as a business, but you are stepping on everybody else's freedom to clean drinking water. So yeah. it's not about freedom. It's about money. And you should, you know, they should admit that to yourself. I get so annoyed. I get so annoyed with this stuff, but it's it's I don't want to focus on being annoyed with it. I want to um, kind of focus in this last um, part of this podcast with like, what can people do that is productive? I think if you look at the Clean Drinking Water um, Act and and um, a lot of the big environmental movements, they happened in um, the 70s. They actually happened under Richard Nixon. And it happened because uh, it was the most politically advantageous thing for the Nixon administration to do at the time. And the question was why? Um, and I, I believe they saw, you know, the rivers catch on fire and it was so much in the political opinion that we need to do something on this. I feel like that's happening with PFAS of all the environmental issues. I feel like the right and the left have both aligned on that one being an issue. Yeah. Um, how can we make, and I think there is going to be something done about that, I hope. Um, but how can we um, put this like anger or annoyance or whatever into something positive uh, to to see change happen? Yeah, well, I think you touched on it. I think part of it is that, you know, I think, um, you know, we're very entertained culture, right? You think about all of the things that we can watch and all these streaming platforms and on TV. And, you know, I think and I, you know, and I think people are uh, aware of a lot of, you know, ridiculousness in the news, but, you know, aren't engaged kind of at the local level. And and that does concern me a lot. I, as somebody who goes to a lot of local village and city meetings, um, you know, listens to a lot of what's happening at the state legislature at the federal level. I think, you know, we really do need people to be active and engaged in their local communities and in their states. I think, you know, you mentioned calling like your representatives and saying, hey, I care about PFAS or I care about plastic. Like, why can't we get rid of these bands on bands and, you know, or like, you know, like, I think just people being engaged at the local level too with what's going on. I mean, a lot of times we find out about projects that are 
damaging the rivers because we have, you know, residents that are attending local meetings and they'll call and say, you know, did you guys hear about this project or this project? We think this could be bad for the river. And, um, you know, we have a fairly small staff and I can't be at like, you know, 80 different meetings at the same time. So I think, you know, having people just really keep an eye out. Like we tell people too, if you're walking your dog, you're walking along the river, you're boating, if you see something that looks weird, smell something that looks weird, you know, let let us know about it. There's a DNR spills line that's um, 1-800-TIP-WDNR. But, you know, we've had three fairly large uh, oil spills this year, this spring, that I think were all probably people who dumped oil down a storm drain, got into the river very quickly, you know, spread miles along the river. We had some pretty serious uh, contamination. Um, you know, nothing, people should never dump anything down a storm drain. But, you know, we find out about these things because people are paddling, people are fishing, they call us and they say, hey, this doesn't look right. So, I mean, people can all help just kind of, you know, be an eye and ear to the river. And and um, if they see something, say something. You know, if you see your neighbor doing something dumb, like pouring anything down a storm drain, you know, you need to kind of educate them <laughs> tactfully or not tactfully. Um, you know, and I think there, those things are very important. I think, you know, people can get involved. And like we have water quality monitoring program. We have 110 volunteers that go out and test, um, you know, about 110-ish sites um, throughout the entire Milwaukee River Basin. And those folks, in my mind, are heroes. I mean, they're going out monthly, they're testing water quality, they're looking at the critters, they're, and they're really just keeping an eye out, you know, what's changed, if the water quality looks bad today, like, is there is there something going on in the land that could be causing that? Um, you know, people, volunteering is super important. Um, if folks can get involved with river cleanups, adopting sections of the river, um, you know, I think for me, the legislative pieces, right, can get very frustrating and things take a very, you know, glacial time sometimes to to get through the, at the state level, federal level. But there's a lot that you can do at the local level. And I think a lot of cities are really needing help and really responsive even to community ideas. And I've seen a lot of amazing examples over the 20 years I've been here of small groups of residents that have organized and gotten, you know, major projects done in their in their municipality or have, you know, had the municipality change policies to, you know, better protect those areas next to the river, you know, to get better shoreland standards. I mean, we passed these standards in Milwaukee, um, you know, in pretty quick period of time to protect the entire Milwaukee River Greenway through overlay zoning, which is a bit of a clunky tool, but the long and short of it was, there's just so much development, so many trees coming down, um, so much kind of, um, so many areas on the Milwaukee River, roughly it's about an eight mile area between North Avenue and Silver Spring for people who are familiar with Milwaukee, but an eight mile section of the Milwaukee River where people had had enough and we organized and we got protective zoning in place. And, you know, that area now you go down there and you think you're, in, you know, you're in northern Wisconsin and you're right in the city of Milwaukee. It's a very special area. A lot of amazing groups working to improve the habitat there um, and improve the trails and improve access. And, you know, and then there's, so I think there's a lot of things that people can do and and um, to still, you know, make a huge difference in protecting water. And I think being involved at kind of all of those different levels, I think is really helpful. And then I think as a consumer too, like really paying attention to what you're buying, you know, really, you know, not using, you know, pesticides, not using fertilizers. You know, there's a lot of natural ways that you can fertilize your properties, planting more native plants, you know, using rain barrels, all of those things. I mean, I think we really need to get to a certain level for to see a huge impact. But I think if everybody does something, um, you know, I think it it will it will definitely help. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for um, coming on and um, educating us on all this. Really appreciate that. Um, and if people want to get involved with um, the River Keepers, Milwaukee River Keeper, how can they do that? Yeah. So um, our website is um, MilwaukeeRiverKeeper.org. Um, and you can also follow us on all the social medias. Um, we do have a like a, a newsletter that you can sign up for that we send out. We send out about every two weeks that talk about different volunteer opportunities, ways that people can get involved, you know, and then different fun things. We do, you know, we do like a dozen or more paddles. We do, we manage a water trail, which is uh, kind of all the the safe and legal access points to the Milwaukee River. So there's fun events and and ways for you to get out in the water too. And I think, um, I think that's really important, um, getting involved. Um, I think the more that people get out onto the river, fish, you know, fish on the river, paddle the river, um, they'll want to protect it. You know, they'll want to become a steward of the resource. I think if you're just driving over the rivers every day, um, you know, kind of looking at them occasionally when you're driving to your meetings or you're, you know, to your events, I think it's hard to connect. But if you really get down there and use the river, I think people fall in love with it and will help us protect it. So, um, you know, you can also find, you know, join us on an event, uh, find out about all that information on our website or our social media. That would be a good first place to to start. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, and um, yeah, hope to see folks out on the river and enjoying it as much as possible. And maybe you too will catch yourself one of them Adderall basses. I mean, that is, <laughs> that's a fight. i tell you what it is. So um, thank you again. I really do appreciate you. Yeah. And thanks. I'll tell uh, David that you said hi. And I'll, Sounds good. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I hopefully we, you know, maybe if there's an event or anything in the future and you guys need help, let me know. And, um, you know, we'd love that. We'd love I, to have you I'd at any to event. Drop by. Awesome. Cool. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much. And we'll, uh, we'll chit chat soon. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Charlie. All right. See you, Chef. That is it for this week's episode of the Cripes Cast, folks. Colleen, where can everyone go find Cheryl? If you want to know more about the Milwaukee River specifically, go to MilwaukeeRiverKeeper.org or go to MKE River, at MKE Riverkeeper on all platforms. Um, they'll keep you updated on what's going on with these specific rivers. But as Cheryl said in the podcast, if you're look if you're going on walks and enjoying the outdoors in the Midwest, which is just such a great thing to do in the summer, and you see a body of water that you're curious about and want to help clean, um, every city pretty much has someone involved in their local level where you can go help and start cleaning up. So reach out to your local officials or reach out to local organizations in order to help clean those riverways. Cause that it's important. It's important. And also like our bodies are 80% water. So you're also helping yourself in a way, if you don't want to be like, <laughs> if you don't want to be uh, f- like, yeah, 10% plastic. Exactly. 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 So yeah, if you want to go to MilwaukeeRiverKeeper.org or MKE river keeper on all platforms awesome ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening colleen maraca thank you for being with me on this pod hannah milos thank you for editing and everybody keep her moving and we'll see you next week so roll out the barrel and get the band brewing life's got you down just keep her moving it's on wisconsin the badgers say it's the old wisconsin you know, sometimes when you're ice fishing, you put your foot in the walleye hole and go ass over tea kettle and you think you're done. No, you got to keep her moving. <laughs>